So this episode is brought to you by Packlane. They're an online shop specializing in beautiful custom packaging with minimum orders as low as 10. So if you're looking to design a new packaging for your product in a box style, you can upload a design to them, see it in 3D and get a quote. And so there's kind of cool because you can uh, revise and restock at any time and really quick turnarounds. And so it's perfect for kind of small businesses like us that need to be agile. So check them out at packlane.com. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. All right, Travis, we're back on the show. What's going on, man? So the one big thing I want to talk about is the mastermind. I want to give a little plug for that. So I'm opening up applications for the mastermind. And if you don't know what it is, the e-commerce mastermind is basically a group of about four to six e-commerce store owners that we get uh, we get together at least once a week. So even if you're looking to start uh, an e-commerce store, we have different levels. So what it is is four to six different e-commerce store owners get together, including me. I'm always on the call. And we talk about what kind of problems we're having. And we try to use each other's brain power to solve the problems. So one week it might be, uh, if you have an e-commerce store, you're on the hot seat and we, you get to ask us all like what, uh, how to solve these different problems that you're having within your business. So if you're interested in joining the e-commerce mastermind, you can go to buildmyonlinestore.com. You can get the application. I believe it's in the right hand sidebar. Just click there, fill out the application and I'll send you an email. Definitely recommend it. That's actually how I met Terry was I joined one of his masterminds back in the day. I, for me personally, I think masterminds are great because it, one, it gets you some social interaction with other entrepreneurs, but it really helps with solving problems. So go to buildmyonlinestore.com, sign up for the, just send in an application to join the masterminds and I will get in contact with you. And there's also a Facebook group. I see there's some people asking questions every week that we can jump in on too uh, and all that stuff. So yeah, yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm growing the Facebook group and it's starting to seem like it's getting a little bit of traction. So if you join the masterminds, you're part of the Facebook group as well. So anytime you have a question, you just pop it in there and I'll try to answer it. And if I don't answer it, a lot of times other people from the group are answering it. Yeah. So, All right, cool. So I guess update for me, uh, kind of still going on the Kickstarter campaign, but it's kind of stuck at like 2,700 and it's getting like anywhere from like 50 to like a hundred bucks a day ish. Whereas like the first day it was like 1500 or 1800. And so I guess it's kind of like the natural life cycle of campaign accounts. It's like a very U shaped, uh, curve. So, you know, kind of bummed about it, but I'm not like, you know, like it is funded. So I can't like complain too. So it's kind of a weird limbo situation. I'm trying to get myself out of. And are you doing anything to try to stoke traffic right now or? Yeah. So what, I, what I've been doing is I've been sending like about a hundred emails of day via Thunderbird to like, so like there's like these celebrity pet accounts or like other rescues or pet groomers or pet food, like people that sell pet collars that aren't like competing products, but you know, can also kind of promote it if they're willing to. And so I basically get around like three to four shares a day from these accounts but a lot of it is like i think a lot of people just in the annual rescue space don't know what kickstarter is because they're like an older demographic that are like you know anywhere from like 35 to 45 so i think i think maybe like it'll be better once i have my own site up to do that but i get the feeling that they're like oh what's kickstarter like and then you look at like oh it's already funded then it's kind of like a like a cash 22 whereas oh you're already you know 200 percent overfunded what's the urgency in some ways too so it's kind of an odd situation do you wish you would have raised the max limit then? Well, if I, if I raised the max limit, wouldn't it be the same? I mean, say like it was like 4,000 or 5,000 maybe, but I guess I'd rather have it hit, you know, still rather have it funded than be like not funded now and like being at half funded too, I think. So I don't know, we'll see. I usually like, I think the last week or two, you get like another big boost. So we'll see uh, how that goes 
in the end. And I guess like this kind of affects the operations because then, you know, at 5,000, you can't really pay like a container to LCL to the US. Like it's probably cheaper to just mail it myself here. This is what I'll probably look into. I'll know in like a week or two. And just going to the post office a bit more every day and stuff like that. So the good thing is that I have a friend here who ships DHL to the US and he has like a three-day special rate where he's able to send like these art replicas for like 12 bucks or something like that. And I don't know how he, how he does it. So maybe I'll just piggyback off his account and try to see if that works too. Because if you think about it, like if I send it via a boat and like the warehousing and a truck, it's probably like, what, five, six dollars a unit. And then the fulfillment center is like another three dollars. So if it's like nine bucks plus shipping, I might as well just ship it myself here. Like it's probably just the same. And it'll probably get there faster too. Because this only takes like two weeks versus going on a boat to a warehouse, to inspections, to all this stuff and all of that. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, either way, I mean, it's it's funded, so it's fine. It's just the like which way to go with the logistics is kind of the next step too, I guess. Alrighty then, so I guess uh, this episode we're gonna do a replay of a Q and A we did, I believe, back in March, right? So uh, kind of it was a Q and A with some listeners, and we didn't get to share it with everyone because we posted it on YouTube. So we're gonna share it with you here uh, for this week. And just to let you guys know, two weeks from now, uh, I don't think we set the exact date, but I think July 28th, which is a Thursday, 7 o'clock PST, which would be 10 o'clock EST, we're going to do another one of these, but this time we're going to talk about AdWords. So I'm basically going to do a full-on AdWords tutorial, um, and you can come join the Google Live. I will I'll give out, I'll send out a link, try to post it in the show notes here uh, to be able to join that. It's a YouTube Live type event. And even if you're not one of the first 10 people to join, because the way YouTube live works is only 10 people can be at a call on the call at a time. So try to be one of the first 10 people there. And if you're not, what we can do is you can still ask questions in the little comments box. And I'll be looking at that and trying to answer your questions as I go. So basically it's a live interactive AdWords tutorial two weeks from today. Well, today is Thursday, July 14th, which so July 28th, Thursday, seven o'clock, we're going to be doing this. Yeah, so stay tuned on our website. And if you have any added questions, uh, that'd be awesome. Because especially for me, like, I want to know that, like, as a new brand, since no one's searching for your brand term, like, how do you target the AdWords keywords for your generic product keywords and making sure that it's not too competitive, things like that. So kind of oh, we'll curious cover it. what I'm looking yeah. into also. Sounds good. So. Yeah. All right, guys, uh, we'll catch you in two weeks and uh, see you then. See you then. Yeah. All right. So let's get into the Q&A. So I have one from James from New York who didn't come. Uh, he was saying, can you give us an update on your handwritten notes to VIP customers and how is that working out? Any change in your process in the past few months? Yeah. So it's been working out really well. The I'm trying to think about changes in the process. The biggest thing is it's completely, I mean, it, I think it's been like this more or less from the beginning. We have two people that are doing it. We have one person that calls and then one person that writes the notes. It's all automated in the sense, well, I mean, they have to do it manually, but one of the things I started doing is at the end of each week, I have one of the girls send me an email and say, how many notes have been written in this week and how many calls were made? Because when I first implemented it, they weren't doing it. They kind of like, oh yeah, I forgot. We're supposed to do that. I'm like, yeah, that's, I told you that's a really big part of it. So the big change, I guess, would be that I'm making people accountable for it. I have have it all automatically set in. So as soon as an order over $250 comes, it triggers it to be added to an Excel spreadsheet or actually it's a, it's a Google Sheets and they mark off when we send them a, a note and then they mark off when we call them. So I don't know, does that answer the question, Terry? 
Yeah, I guess are these uh, girls working in the office for you doing this, or is it like a VA or how's like? Oh, it's girls the working in the office. Yeah, I mean, gotcha, gotcha. the handwritten both of those things it would be hard to have a VA do. I think. Um, yeah, but so the, both the girls are working in the office. One girl originally, and I'm not going to call out, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so it's fine. One le- woman originally was running it, and she had, I think she had a lot going on, and she kind of forgot about it. So we put another girl in charge of it, and the girl that's in charge of it, it's basically, it's her job to get it done. But the, the first girl that was running it originally, she was really good on the phone, so we still have her doing the calling, but the other girl uh, is in charge of making sure that she does it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and just kind of a question for me: When you see a order that's over two fifty, like who flags it? Does the system? Do you have some automated way that flags it, or do you manually I, yeah. go and like? I wrote a quick program, so it basically it takes the API from Volusion, and it it I import all the data from Volusion, saying what orders have we had, and as soon as it's over two hundred fifty dollars, I wrote a like a quick program that says, all right, it's over two hundred fifty dollars. Put it in this uh, special sheet right here. Alrighty. Uh, any more questions, Trevor? You have a question? Yeah. Um, we actually, we actually are just kind of starting over again because the niche we wanted to pursue isn't turning out to be very good. Travis, when you first started your store, you guys were cutting and sewing fabric when you first started, right? You didn't start under a dropship model or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, we still do all our own production. So when we when we first started, it was my mom would do all the cutting, all the sewing, you know, the shipping. And as we grew, we started to hire employees. So now she doesn't do any of the actual production. We have someone that does cutting. We have someone that does sewing, all that kind of stuff. And I think Travis' situation where his mom uh, had a lot of, you know, industry experience in this business, whereas, like, I guess for some of us who are getting into something new, it may not be as, you know, might not have, like, the knowledge to do certain things too, so. I'll add, like, as a counterpoint to that, though. I mean, you look at a lot of the people. You can partner with people. You can find people that are industry experts. There is, for every one entrepreneur, online marketer, there's 10 people that wish they knew an online entrepreneur marketer. So if you know someone that, you know, sell that wants to sell something online, you could open the phone book and probably ask people, like, hey, do you want to partner with me? Do you want to try to sell this? I think partnerships is a whole other issue, but, you know, save that for another episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess my point is I, I think a lot of people... I guess it shouldn't hold you back, right? That's what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. I will say, and this is something I don't hear a lot of people talking about, but I truly believe in, and it's that's the old, like there's the native, you've heard about like the, the Native American like rain dance, right? And the reason that it works, the reason that the Native American rain dance works is they keep dancing until it rains, and it's eventually going to rain, and that's where like I think there is something to be said about if you really believe in your idea, keep working on it. I see a lot of people quit too soon, and sometimes it's like, oh, you know, if you just would have worked on it for another month. I mean, B Dance, where the first three months we got zero sales, it probably then even uh, from when I started to six months later, there was only a few sales. And if I would have just been like, oh, nope, I throw up my hands, it's not going to work, we would have lost. But I, I believed in the product, so I think there is a, a balance there. I don't know, maybe you disagree, Terry. Yeah, actually, when did it actually start taking up? I never asked you this. Like six months in, or uh, well, let's see. I started in February, and then August is like I think it was August was the first time that I really had that moment of this is gonna work. Keep in mind, I did I think July. I want to say July first. I left for South America to go backpacking. So I worked pretty much from February to July first on it really hard. Went down backpacking in South America, and about six weeks into that, like I think. The SEO juices started to flow. Some of my AdWords started to get some traction. I had 
a day where I made, we did $500 in revenue. It was a Thursday. We did $500 of revenue and I was stoked. I went out um, and you know, I was telling people like, oh, my business, it's, it's going to work. Then the next day we did $600 in revenue. And then the next day we did $500 in revenue. So I went from our best month being like $600 a month to doing three days in a row of right around five, $600. So that's, it was, gotcha. it was a while. I mean, it was six months. Already? Uh, anyone have a question? Ryan, you have a question? or I was just wondering, when you go to uh, jump into AdWords, what's the first thing that you want to start with? Like, what do you start looking at? Because I haven't jumped into it. Mine's about to about to launch my website, but I don't know where to really just jump in and start looking at, except for maybe some informational videos and whatnot. Okay. Um, so, I mean, the first thing by far is figuring out what keywords you want to target. So, I would write down a list of as many as you can think of reasonably of what are the long tail keywords and you know what long tail keywords are right no, right okay I long don't. tail so a, a short tail or a short keyword a regular keyword might be something let's i'm just going to use my examples dance shorts is just like a regular keyword that would be a really bad one a long tail keyword might be red cotton dance shorts and you want to make a list of those long tail keywords that when people search in Google, they're ready to buy um, your product, whatever whatever product that is. You don't want people, for instance, if someone's searching for dance shorts, they might just be curious to see pictures of girls in dance shorts. They might be curious of what type of dance shorts are out there. But if someone's searching for red cotton dance shorts, they want a pair of red cotton dance shorts and they're ready to buy. So my suggestion would be to make a list of those. And then you can use the Google Keyword Planner so, for instance, maybe um, fold-over dance shorts is one of the items that we sell. And I might say, okay, fold-over dance shorts, uh, is there anybody in Google that's interested in these? Oh, wait a minute. Google actually recommends the calling them high-waist dance shorts instead. Or maybe I do ads for both of them. So, if I'm selling high-waist dance shorts, I might do one ad that's called red high-waist dance shorts, and then I might do another one that's called red fold-over dance shorts because those are both very similar. So it all really starts with your keywords. You want to have as good uh, of keywords as you can, like as ready, that people, when they search for those, are as ready to buy as possible. So, so I guess the gist key- of it is that the shorter the keyword, the more broad it is. Yeah. So if you're searching like Google, you're like, hey, how do I make you know, my own dance shorts? That's like a really long keyword very specific intent type of thing too. Right? So like the more drilled down you can get, uh, the better it is. But the trick is that uh, broader keywords are usually more expensive to bid on. So you want to find a balance where that, you know, like you know your keywords, but you're not targeting every keyword because low because these really long tail keywords might have really low search volume because everyone types in things differently. Like mm-hmm. the order of like how to, things like that. So like um, there's certain things where you don't want to get too specific, but you want to know like on the mid level like what are the keywords that matter to your products and your store with the right intent also, essentially. Okay. Um, so the Google Keyword Planner that's inside of AdWords, I just haven't gone through it at all, so I don't know. Yeah, you can get it through AdWords if you go up to Tools and then Keyword Planner or just Google Keyword Planner. It'll be the number one result. Okay. Yeah, there's some other tools people use. I think like Longtail Pro is a tool that a lot of other people use, um, but it's a paid tool. But you could just use the Keyword Planner uh, right now, the, the only thing like Keyword Planner kind of sucks is that they group the keywords, like they want you to just bid on AdWords. So the way it's structured, you got to throw it through the keyword data a little bit to get the ones that you want to, because they do it by keyword groups, and you know they give you like a suggested bid, and it's usually a lot higher than you probably should bid to. I noticed. Another thing I'd add is, so you want to look at the Keyword Planner, try to find uh, keywords that have a lot of 
a data behind them in the sense of people are searching them for a decent amount. It's not necessarily that people are in the keyword planner are searching them a lot because it'll show you the average search volume per month. It actually might be better to do smaller numbers. So if someone, if it's really long tail, for instance, where to buy red cotton dance shorts, it's probably only 10 people a month that are searching for that. Those are probably better keywords. But what I was going to say is put that into Google, see what kind of results come up. So for instance, let's say you're selling, let's just keep with the red cotton dance shorts. Maybe I put that in Google and I see that, oh, people are actually looking for a different style of dance shorts than what I offer. They're actually looking for belly dance shorts or something something weird. Then that's probably not a keyword I want to target. So put it into Google and make sure that your product makes sense with uh, the keywords that you're targeting. Can you look at, because um, I was looking at some of the competitors and uh, I was looking at a website called like SEM Rush and it was showing some of the like top ones that they ranked for. Is that something that that'd be good to 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 start working with anything that the competitors are using or is that something that's going to be difficult to get into because they're already ranked pretty high for them? I think it's fine. You want to, I, I did, I did the free trial of all those softwares. Don't, I wouldn't pay for any of them. I think it's a waste. Um, mm -hmm. And part of the reason is because I looked at SEM rush and a few of the other ones for my site and they said that I was bidding on keywords that I'm not bidding on and like weird things. Also, you can find a lot of that data just by typing it in yourself. Uh, one thing I do is open up, my browser in incognito mode because it gets rid of all the cookies and everything. Type in whatever keyword I want to target and look at what my competitors' ads are. So using SEM Rush, one benefit from it is seeing the ad copy. I stole from one of my competitors. They had something that said, dance shorts 30% off. And I'm like, oh, I like that. I'm, I'm going to add 30% off to all my ads. And I do recommend another thing in your ad copy, put numbers, put sale, put buzzwords like that because numbers really stick out. Um, dollar signs work really well. Symbols other than text, because if someone's scanning and they see numbers or a dollar sign or symbols like that, like for instance, I do 200 plus colors. I add the plus because it's a little bit different. So I do 200 plus colors, 30% off, and it really stands out. So use SEMrush and tools like that to look at your competitors, but don't take it as gospel. So we had a question that someone asked in the, the Q&A chat, and I'm just going to read this. I think uh, his name is Daniel Nasir. T Daniel, let me know if I'm saying that wrong. But it says success through a .com e-commerce or a free domain Wix e-commerce. Bear in mind name, professionalism, and attractiveness. Now, I'm not sure exactly what you're asking here, but I'm going to take a stab at it. Maybe, Terry, I don't know if it makes more sense to you. But my guess is do, do we recommend like a .wix.com or something like that? And my question or my answer is absolutely not. It pay the, you can get a GoDaddy domain name for 99 cents. So, I mean, if you can't afford a dollar for the year for a GoDaddy domain name, don't get into this business. It's it's just not worth it. A Shopify, 30 bucks a month. It's another one of those things that if you cannot afford $30 a month, it's probably not worth getting an e-commerce. It's going to be a very uphill battle. If you want to do it cheaper, you could do WordPress and do WooCommerce and just to test the waters, but if you have any kind of capital, the $30 a month, it's might sound a little scary at first. It's 100% worth it. Alrighty, so that's that. Uh, anyone else have a question? Hey, Travis. Yeah. Um, hey, I was wondering, going into manufacturing, because you, you started B-Dancewear and you start manufacturing rather than reselling anything. So I was just wondering, what was your venture starting out into that and like where did you even begin because I was looking at it a little bit and rather than reselling you know down the road obviously but 
what did you encounter? Like, I have no idea. Well, so it was, I mean, a little bit easier for me. It was a lot easier for me because the way that I got into this whole field was my mom had been making custom dance clothing, think like those $200 completely custom outfits for 25 years. And she had this idea. She, people kept coming up to her saying, oh, I want a pair of light purple booty shorts. Will you do that for me? And she'd say, no, you know, that's not really what, we, what I do. Um, why don't you just go online and find it? And people would come back and say, no, you can't find it online. No one's doing this. So when I was quitting my job, I asked, I told everyone I want to start an e-commerce store and she had this idea and I really liked it. I did the keyword research. I did uh, you know, my due diligence making sure this would be a good niche and we started and as we started, she was 100% in charge of production and manufacturing. Maybe I should have her on the, on the podcast but I mean, <laughs> where, where it started to get more challenging was when we started having to hire employees but even then, we're also a little bit lucky because... We live in LA, and LA is a big hub for clothing manufacturing. So we found, and it, I mean, I assume any big city, you'll be able to find someone that knows how to do sewing, cutting, things like that. But we put a, an ad in, I think originally we put it in Craigslist, but then eventually we found a Spanish-speaking newspaper, which is way, way more expensive. It was $250 for three days, and we hired our first employee, and, you know, I probably... Shouldn't be saying this, but I'll go ahead and say it. It's like you know, at first it's a little bit more under the table type thing, and then I mean, just kidding, IRS. If you're listening, we never did that. But then eventually <laughs> you get to you know, it's more friends. At first you hire friends, so the first process might even be hiring a friend to do shipping and packaging for you, and then eventually it's hiring that person to do cutting, and then eventually sewing, and so on and so on. And I think that's the typical way. In for most people getting into manufacturing, it's going to be you have some kind of skill if you're doing manufacturing yourself and slowly you outsource it. Um, Ryan, I assume you, if you're looking at doing rave clothing and you don't know how to do it, it's probably better to find a company that can do it for you. I've, I've talked to a lot of different companies that that's what they do. Being in LA, it's a little bit easier. There's a lot of different companies I found that I could go to them and say, I need this custom design. It's not custom. Well, it's somewhat custom design. Can you do it for me? But it's expensive. Uh, it, it does get a little bit pricey. Someone has a question here. Uh, what do you think about using people's reviews of a product that aren't even your customers because you just started? <laughs> so I, I think, uh, um, I think you were, so the person's name, I think it's um, Hugh is how you pronounce it. And let's, let's see, she just clarified, or he, they just clarified, uh, I mean, is I'm a reseller and, I, okay. Okay, I, just to make it clear, what I mean is I'm a reseller can I use a review? X product is reliable. I can include that on my product page, which sort which sort of makes it seem like they bought it for me. I think that's totally fine. I would I would not worry about that at all. I I'll, I mean I'll be honest. When I first was starting my store, I went to I took reviews from products that weren't even my products and just used them as to help flan fan the flames. Um, but I think what you're doing is even more on the up and up. You're taking reviews on of the product that you're selling just from a different seller's channel or website? So my answer is yes. Go ahead and do that. I don't know, Terry. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's fine because if someone's going to search for that product and you're a reseller, they're probably going to find that review somehow. So, like, you know, if you rephrase it a little bit and just say, hey, people that have bought this product have said, you know, blah, 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 and you're not really, you know, lying. It's people that have bought the product just not on your site before. I, I don't worry. As long as you're planning on giving good service, 
I wouldn't yeah. worry about it at all. I mean, if you're using it to and you're gonna, I don't know, con people out of money, that's messed up. But if you're gonna, if you're gonna use the review to make help seed people so that they'll actually purchase it, and you're gonna give them good, fast, reliable service, go for it. Hopefully, that clears things up. Yeah. In the worst case, you just delete it. Right. In the worst case, someone says, "Oh, I saw this review somewhere else." Well, worry about that when that comes up. I think too.